Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling, and happy Passover out there. This is Holy Week, uh, Good Friday today at the time of this broadcast, and in a few days, Resurrection Sunday, Easter, for those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, call yourselves Christians. We will be uh, doing a little bit of the issues of the day, um, but I would like to read some scripture uh, toward the end of the show, give you a little bit of a flavor for Easter. Uh, I'm certainly not a theologian, Bible scholar, any of the above. Um, However, I do know that there are a lot of individuals that Easter is Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies and things of that nature. And it is the most sacred holiday of the year for you and I who do call ourselves Christians. And after uh, reviewing the issues of the day, I cannot think of a greater time uh, for need of a savior, particularly here in the United States of America. So we will go over the issues of the day and kind of make some comments on those and then give you the Easter story as it uh, is told in our holy word, the Bible. I could, you know, Google what Wikipedia has to say about Easter or what some theologian uh, has to say about Easter, probably somewhat credible. However, there is no better source than the word of God in Matthew 26, 27, 28 to go over the Easter story. For those of you that don't know it and don't know it in detail, please indulge me. I don't read a lot of scripture on uh, my show here, but this occasion certainly warrants it. So let's go rapid fire through the issues of the day. I see Mike Lindell promises election fraud evidence and Trump will return to the White House by August, says CEO Mike Lindell, who predicts former President Donald Trump will be back in the White House before the end of the year. The controversial mustached businessman whose election film in February was criticized as being rife with falsehoods claims he has collected new evidence of fraud that will show the 2020 election was stolen from Trump and handed to President Joe Biden. He says, all the evidence I have, everything is going to go before the Supreme Court and the election of 2020 is going bye-bye, Lindell said on a former White House chief strategist uh, Steve Bannon's War Room pandemic podcast. Donald Trump will be back in office in August, he said, um, We will conclude here. It says dozens of election fraud lawsuits across the country have been dismissed by the courts. They've been dismissed, but that does not mean that evidence was presented. Only on a few very limited uh, occasions was evidence of fraud actually introduced. And then a court said they would not hear the case. The vast majority of these cases that our friends on the left like to say have been dismissed. Nothing to see here. There was no evidentiary findings uh, brought forth. So um, article here is a little bit um, vague on that. Uh, Election officials have also dismissed claims of widespread fraud in Trump's own cybersecurity 
and Infrastructure Security Agency released a statement in November that said the election was almost secure, the most secure in American history. Any of us know that that is not the case. Um, It was not secure, but we digress. So we're not going to uh, do the election fight today on uh, Good Friday, but I did want to let you know that Mike Lindell is indeed uh, in the news again. His business has soared since he has been blackballed or uh, boycotted, if you will. And that is to the, the good people in this country that believe in him and believe in his right to have free speech, even if they don't necessarily agree with what he has to say. So um, this next article I found to be very interesting. Uh, it says, and, and you and I have chronicled this uh, several times over the past year, it does seem like every few months Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, uh, Sundar Pichai has have been uh, called in front of uh, the the bureaucrats in Washington to just go blah 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 about how they are fair and they don't blackball people or they don't um, uh, silence people, if you will, and uh, nothing really does seem to come of it. But this was an interesting. A little blurb that I saw. It says Vermont Representative Peter Welch proposes a new regulatory agency to oversee big tech. So, this is the left's feeble attempt to placate individuals out there. And there, there's a, a vast majority of people that, that really understand that those aforementioned entities are engaging in some pretty shady. Uh, selective outrage, uh, banning uh, Donald Trump and, and many conservatives for whatever they say or whatever they post video wise, and then allowing some really crazy, egregiously inaccurate, inflammatory, we can go on and on and on things uh, from people on the left. You, you really don't have to know a lot about big tech or any of this stuff to see that the outrage is indeed selective. And uh, since it is so obvious, even to Democrats, they figure they will use this as a uh, opportunity to develop another regulatory agency, which is that's what Democrats do. Uh, they don't repeal laws. They make more laws. They don't tweak laws. They make even more laws. And if they don't legislate, which is what they should be doing, they create czars or they create um, agencies, if you will. Uh, these agencies oftentimes, most of the times, are not accountable to anyone. When presidents name czars, they oftentimes uh, extra-constitutionally do all sorts of crazy things and Congress can't really do any more than just kind of look up and watch what's happening uh, to their dismay or to their pleasure. Uh, Those on the left love czars. They love edicts from on high and uh, they love agencies. And uh, Peter Welsh says, we need a new regulatory agency to oversee big tech. Uh, So briefly here, it says in a move that comes outside the box, Representative Peter Welch, a Vermont Democrat, recommended that Congress consider investing in a government agency for regulating social media companies. On March 25th, the House Energy and Commerce Committee hosted a hearing on social media 
extremism, and misinformation. The hearing featured our favorite three here, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, Twitter's Jack Dorsey, and Google's Sundar Pichai as the key witnesses. And we will conclude our analysis on this little story by just saying, can you say the fox watching the hen house? Um, Big tech dragged Joe Biden across the finish line. Big tech does the work of of that should be done on the debate stage or in the arena of ideas on college campuses and vast other places. And when the competition is wiped off the field or silenced, there's not too many Democrats that have problem with that. So Mr. Welch feigning that he feels that the uh, extremism and misinformation should be regulated or watched by a, a government entity is really tantamount to the fox watching the hen house. Um, what you do if you want to uh, regulate this or you, you would find or uh, shore up the loopholes that these entities enjoy. And we... Um, we go to our favorite uh, politician, mine anyway, maybe not yours, but Ted Cruz, who um, says, with members of both the Senate and the House of Representatives considering whether to amend or eliminate Section 230's grant of immunity, big tech is not living up to his end of its legislative bargain, says Ted Cruz. And he says the Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act gives platforms legal immunity for content posted by third-party users while also giving them legal cover to take good faith efforts to moderate their platforms. So um, here we go again with um, uh, Section 230, which grants immunity to all of the aforementioned entities. And there's really, this is not going to get uh, cured, if you will, anytime soon if indeed um, 230 is not closed up, that loophole. That is a loophole that all of the um, talking heads that come up to um, uh, Capitol Hill every few months uh, take advantage of, and they feign that they're outraged by this and outraged by that. But the drumbeat continues uh, as far as the silencing of conservative thought and the um, uh, expressing of, of uh, contrary thought to that that is just free and open and flowing like uh, water. And that is a, that is a glaring um, uh, hypocrisy that is selective outrage when conservatives do things that these entities consider to be uh, – extreme, if you will, and boy, we can exploit that word, then their silence banned, crushed. When folks on the left do things that any thinking person would say is extreme, there is uh, seems to be no concern by these entities to blunt or, or you know, temper the, the verbiage, the videos, the tenor of speech. So it is clearly a selective outrage on the part of Facebook or Twitter in these areas. And that problem is not going to be solved 
unless people have the right and recourse to sue people for slander or defamation of character or libel or all of those uh, things. And when they do, then that will take care of itself. So on we go to Ted Cruz again, who is in the news. Uh, This article says border crisis is a result of Biden's decisions. Uh, And Mr. Cruz says he has never seen it this bad. And on uh, last week in the presser, there, there was actually a couple of questions. There was many questions about immigration, but nothing real substantive. But I do recall one person uh, did ask the president, why can't we see what's going on? This is stuff that happens in tin horn dictatorships. This is a terrible crisis that is happening on our southern border. And uh, pictures, as they have said for thousands of years here, uh, are worth a thousand words. So we can go blah, blah, blah on the radio. We can go blah, blah, blah in print. But when you see what you see, coyotes throwing uh, three and five-year-olds over fences, uh, rather high fences, if you will, when you see uh, facilities that were designed to house 250 people and they have 4,200 people in them, this is a humanitarian crisis. And the selective outrage as, as we oftentimes uh, talk about here, is, is coming to a point in this country where it's even folks that are political junkies, they may not listen to Reshaping America, they may not listen to Fox News or Newsmax or read the Washington Examiner. They have eyes, they have common sense, and they, they may not want to get dusted up in this political uh milieu, if you will. And they may not like to talk about this thing, these things at the water cooler, their kids basketball game, but it's getting to the point where, uh, you know, decent business owners are being shut down and asked to triple mask up when illegal aliens on our border are in these horrific conditions uh, the, the the rate of COVID at that aforementioned um, facility that is has 4,200 kids in it rather than the 250 it was designed for uh, is about 10% as far as positive COVID um, uh, readings, if you will. And that, that's, that's amazing. Uh, we've all heard, or maybe we haven't, of the situation in San Diego where illegal immigrant children are being taught live while American uh, citizens of this country in San Diego have not been taught live for the longest of time. Now, you don't have to be a political junkie to say, that doesn't make any sense. And when you're asked to wear triple mask and you're stared at when you take your mask off from a business establishment to walk in the sunshine to your car with nobody around and somebody gives you a glaring look and then cheers when there's just a pile of human beings overcrowded in these facilities with no mask, no screening, no nothing. That's horrible. That is inconsistent. That is selective outrage. 
And it seems like people that play by the rules, do it the right way, uh, are penalized in this country in a whole host of areas. And people that jump the fence, don't care about this, don't care about that, don't care about laws, uh, certain rioters or protesters or marchers in this country are vilified and others are celebrated. And I think people in this country are getting tired of the glaring inconsistency, uh, the the speaking out of uh, both sides of your mouth, or worse than that, being stone cold silent when you see wrong if it is going to help your party, and then being very loud and outraged when it's going to hurt your party. So um, selective outrage has always been a problem uh, as far as I am concerned. So this article goes on. It says uh, Senator Ted Cruz uh, Thursday said Joe Biden caused this border crisis we are seeing right now through his immigration actions during his first week in office. The Republican senator who has recently visited the southern border added that the situation um, is is one of ex- uh, one example of extreme partisan failure. Joe Biden made this strange choice to pivot hard left. He added, and I think he is captive to Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Biden has scrapped a number of former President Donald Trump's policies which included having asylum seekers remain in Mexico instead of staying in the U.S. while they wait for their cases to be heard. The moves have led to a record surge in migrants, including unaccompanied minors, that has strained capacity at immigration facilities in recent weeks. Cruz told Fox & Friends on Wednesday he witnessed a man-made humanitarian disaster and crisis during the trip, that he took to the southern, excuse me, southern border last week. Cruz said, this year we had the worst illegal immigration in 20 years, and it occurred when Joe Biden became president, and it occurred because of decisions he made. I have been to the border many times, said Mr. Cruz, over the past 10 years. I have never seen it this close to bad, this bad. The numbers are through the roof. And it is the direct result of decisions Joe Biden made in his very first week as president. So legislation aside, the tenor that a leader strikes, whether you like that leader or not, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, is very much responsible for the uh, immigration activity into this country and certainly for illegal immigration into this country. Donald Trump, love him or hate him, hate his wall rhetoric, whatever. He pretty much served notice to the leaders in Mexico, the citizens in Mexico and Latin America that we welcome you. We would like to have you in our country if you are willing to assimilate and abide by the rules uh, of our country. However, we are going to do it in an orderly fashion and a systematic way. We are not going to flood the system with people that could very well be a public health problem or or, uh, challenge and people that could be uh, uh, criminals and all of the above. And that tenor 
was stood on its ear by Joe Biden, who basically uh, said the opposite of that. Uh, Come on in. Come on in uh, now. Come on in tomorrow. Uh, Come in any way you can. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but not by much. And Joe Biden has caused this um, situation to happen. And you don't really have to go too far other than to see the the T-shirts that people are wearing. Viva Joe Biden uh, coming into this country. Thank you, Mr. Biden, and all of these things. Um, This is directly as a result of the change in regime in the United States of America. And back to my original point of uh, this is not, or at least I thought it was not, a tin horn dictatorship. But in those third world countries where people have no rights, freedoms, liberties, if you will, oftentimes uh, phones, cameras, reporters are banned from areas where bad things are going on because they make the dictator or his or her administration look bad. And that cannot be uh, tolerated because the, the dictator oftentimes keeps their power base by controlling information. That is a, uh, that is a premise that has been going on for hundreds of years. It will go on for hundreds of years and hopefully it will be curtailed in the United States of America where heretofore we were free and were able to believe our eyes. And if an honest media wanted to report on the egregious things that are happening on our Southern border or take pictures they were allowed to do so. And it is breathtaking in the very short span of uh, only a few months that Joe Biden has been president that they are able, and there's a lot of reasons for that, to control the narrative. Um, To their credit, ABC News wanted to embed with Rand Paul and Mr. Cruz down at the southern border, and they were forbidden to do that by the administration. That's that's an amazing factoid right there that they wanted to. And secondly, that someone on high said, no, you can't, nothing to see here. And so they have to hightail it away from where they know something, a humanitarian disaster is transpiring. And they just have to wait for their marching orders from their leader. Very, very troubling. So what did the conservatives in Congress do? They said, we're not waiting for any approval, or if the media can't embed with us, we're going to go down and we're going to try to take video equipment so the American people can see this disaster and formulate an opinion on their own who's responsible for it, or at the least just be empathetic to it. But powerful people on the ground there said, no, you're not going to do that. So what did the politicians do? They got their cell phones out and they just documented this, uh, this humanitarian disaster. And that's where you get these horrible, horrible images of poor little children who are being used as pawns 
um, in in there in in such overcrowding conditions that it's it's unspeakable. And again, that's why I always say on this show, you know, forget the Democrat Republican thing. Check the issues of the day with the word of God and the word of God will give you the true skinny on anything that you ask. Uh, the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. James 1, 5, ask for it, you'll get it. Um, you don't have to be a political animal to understand something's not right when cages are called cages when a Republican isn't uh, in power, but the predecessor to Donald Trump, Joe, or excuse me, Barack Obama, kids were in cages then. They weren't called Obama cages, but they were called Trump cages. Trump's long gone. Biden's in charge. Still got cages. Why aren't they cages? Cages are cages are cages. And why are they called cages when somebody with an R next to their name is in power, but they're not called cages when somebody with a D next to their name is in power? You don't have to be a political junkie, somebody that lives, sleeps, and breathes this to ask that very, very basic question. So um, thank God for uh, Senator Cruz. He... um, he has exposed the light of day to what is going on down there. And I appreciate that. Um, I'm not really going to get into this next story. It was so egregiously troubling that I, um, I just kind of printed it and started reading it. And I said to myself, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm going to talk about it a little bit as a, as a, uh, a precursor, a foray, a, a setup into just telling you about what Jesus Christ did for us 2,020 years ago um, and how much we need a Savior right now. This is a very, very troubling, troubling story. It says, no jail time for two boys behind deadly on-campus attack of a Merino Valley 13-year-old Diego Stoltz. And it says two juvenile boys who were charged a couple years ago with the fatal assault of this young middle school student, Diego Stoltz, will not receive jail sentences, a judge ruled a few days ago. The Riverside District Attorney's Office told Fox 11 that Riverside County Superior Court Judge Roger A. Lubes ordered each individual to do 150 hours of community service and that they will be required to participate in various programs specially tailored toward their rehabilitative needs. The judge said he believed that the probation department who was pushing for jail time was basing its terms and conditions on public outrage than rehabilitation. Now, um, I'm not going to get into the details of what they did to this kid, um, but I will tell you, two 14-year-olds, they're not 18. They're not adults. In my opinion, they should not be in with rapists and murderers at uh, maximum security facilities. But if you're 14 years old, you are really on the threshold of being an adult. You really should know better. And... Slaying one of your 
fellow students and getting absolutely no jail time and getting, uh, you know, having been ordered to partake in some programs is really just horrifically amiss. It is just uh, indicative of how whacked we have become as a culture. Um, no surprise, this is in California. Um, just a terrible, terrible, terrible miscarriage of justice. And I, I think and I pray for this poor little kid's family. Um, what must they be thinking when their kid goes off to school one morning, gets brutally killed by a couple of classmates who are 14, not too many years away from being an adult. They certainly do or should know right from wrong. And they're capable of murder. They carried out an egregious murder. And they're sentenced to programs and community service. This is horrible. And if I'm that family, I have to scratch my head and say, where do I turn? Where do I turn? There's only one place to turn, and that is God, um, his son, Jesus Christ. And that's probably a good way to go into, you know, kind of talking about what Jesus Christ did for us in Holy Week some 2,000 years ago. Um, you know, if you read these headlines, they're very disturbing if you turn on the news, you see the left and right screaming at each other. We are told not to believe our eyes when cities are burning behind reporters and the reporters are saying nothing to see here. This is a summer of love in the words of the CNN reporter. This is like a festival, like a, a arts and crafts festival while there's actual smoke and orange fire behind the guy's head and you are being told not to believe your eyes. Donald Trump gets impeached for a phone call that is allegedly uh, quid pro quo when our current president is on video visually and, and you know, uh, uh, you can hear him executing a quid pro quo statement just holding court with all the politicians or excuse me, reporters dictating to them. This is what happened. This is a quid pro quo. Nobody cares about that. But Donald Trump gets impeached for a phone conversation that is allegedly um, a quid pro quo. So we are living in a, in a world where up is down, cloudy is sunny, black is white, certain protests, riots, whatever you will, are okay. Other ones are evil. And there doesn't really seem to be a lot of rhyme or reason to this. And, you know, back to the family of this poor slain child, they have to be scratching their head. There's a lot of people in this country, not just people that like the news and, and enjoy for some perverse reason, the, the right left debate. I never have. I just do it, but I don't enjoy it. But th there's got to be a lot more people that are just saying, this planet is whacked. This country is whacked. This country is going south really, really quickly. And um, the only thing I can tell you 
is the word of God is true. It is right. It will guide you in every area of your life. Any issue that happens to be going on right now in one way or another is addressed by God. Uh, the absolutes that are articulated in the Bible are irrefutable. And you really have to, if you want to orient yourself, if you want to not be ripe for propaganda, if you want some degree of comfort, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, you really are going to have to turn to the Word of God. And, and there is no better time to do that than this Holy Week where, you know, I, I often I speak at funerals and eulogize people. And sometimes there's a few people there that's like, you know, what's with the God thing? What's with the you need to be born again? What's with the uh, sinner's prayer thing? Well, there are a lot of people in this culture that the only time that they ever think of the hereafter or loftier things uh, more important than their 401k or their dry cleaning or their weed-free lawn. Um, Sometimes it takes a funeral to orient people and to shake them up and say, where is my eternal resting place going to be? So uh, I I am not ashamed at all to, to eulogize people and talk about an eternal resting place because that's basically the only time that some people think about these things. And and similarly, this week, Holy Week, Good Friday, not just a day off, it's a day that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of humanity. Easter, not just chocolate bunnies and Easter egg hunts with your kids or grandkids. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. These are big things. These are things that we have to park on. And maybe just maybe after you hear about these horrible news of the day and and how whack this planet is, maybe you will think about these things. Maybe you will make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life and and, uh, give the reins of your life over to him and obey him and follow him. So, you know, in, in these crazy times that we live in, we all see wrong. Even if you're an atheist, you see wrong. And where we are turning to right these wrongs are either going to give us no help or hope or very little. Um, executive orders are not going to turn this country around. It's not going to change the hearts of men and women. Uh, I know people on the Christian left love executive orders when, you know, people uh, uh, are in there that are just saying, okay, the government says you got to give to the poor. Well, that's only of marginal help. You got to change the hearts of individuals in order to get people to want to give to the poor. So executive orders are not going to change all the social ills that we have riots and destroying property and giving business owners that have nothing to do with your cause or against your cause beatdowns and and stomping on people's skulls while people in the media think that that's uh, just a, a march to social justice. That is completely and utterly whacked. That's not going to help 
George Floyd or anybody, when people's lives and dreams are destroyed and their property is destroyed and their wives are beaten. And this is, this is craziness. Um, heated arguments between the left and the right, uh, particularly when no one is listening to anything. There are just mouths moving left and right mouths moving. Nobody is concerned with uh, persuading that person, understanding why that person thinks the way they do. They are just waiting to puke out the next fact and give the person that they're debating a slap down. And the person that's getting slapped down, they're not listening to anything. They're just waiting for their uh, moment to refute the uh, the assertions of the other person and give that person a a verbal slap down and sometimes a physical slap down. You think that's changing anything? Uh, election fraud. Uh, do you think by perpetrating election fraud in so many areas, you're changing this country for the better? Do you think turning a blind eye to all of the things that happened last November as far as free and fair elections are concerned and continuing to fight against free and fair elections, do you think that's forwarding anything that is good, that Jesus is behind? You're deluding yourself if you think you're on a crusade to make this country better when you fight against election integrity and you want to continue election irregularities and fraud. And you're not making this country any better. You're making it worse. Uh, Shredding or rewriting the Constitution is not making this country better or worse. It it is making it worse. It's it's certainly not making it better. Um, and, And I hate to say this to my conservative friends, the guys and gals in the black robes, they're not making this thing any better either. Please do not hold out hope for, um, you know, uh, this country going in the right direction um, based on, you know, anything that these uh, men and women in black robes are are saying or doing. They, they have failed us, those of us that love the Constitution, um, time and time again, regardless of how strict uh, constructionist they may happen to be, there are certainly members of the Supreme Court that are solid, but do not rely on the Supreme Court to fix all of the ills in this country. We got to take this thing back one citizen at a time, and we got to start listening to one another, and we have to start changing hearts. And the wicked hearts, the sinful hearts, the angry, crazy hearts that we see today were the same 2,000 years ago. And thank God up above that our Father God chose to have compassion and love and mercy on us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. So let me go into that story, if you will permit me, Matthew 26, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled 
in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head and as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near, and I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had never been born. Then Jesus, the one who would betray him, or excuse me, then Judas the one who would betray him said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall all away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, 
I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And then he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he felt with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away one more time and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him with a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once, Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached out for his sword, drew it, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say this must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat at the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all has to take place so that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. 
The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I said to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they said. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him, and said to the people there, This fellow was with this Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again, with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and whipped, excuse me, wept bitterly, bitterly. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? they replied. That's your responsibility. So Jesus threw excuse me, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field, a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took thirty pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony that they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one of, of these prisoners do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest 
that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am an innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus in the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his, uh, his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elahai Elahalaim Sabakathina, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, 
Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself became a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb and that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he had been raised from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake from an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and become became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night 
and stole him away. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely, widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Happy Easter, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day.